Good morning. It's good to see you all. I'll add my welcome to each and every one who is here this morning. We seek to serve God as we find instructions in His Word. We seek to bring glory to Him by our, our worship to Him and to edify one another as we come together on the first day of the week to do so. Thank you all for being here. Pray that you are indeed edified by the worship here this morning, by the Bible teaching. We uh, seek to uh, speak uh, what the Bible has to say, no more, no less. And you'll be my brother or my sister if you uh, hear something that does not agree with Scripture. You'll be my brother or my sister to, to let me know that uh, and to, to correct me should I misspeak. I don't plan to, but should I do? Um, please let me know. I want to begin this morning and... and by saying something that the Apostle Peter said in his writing. In 2 Peter, he says on more than one occasion, he says, I write to you to remind you um, about these things to stir you up. So when we hear lessons that we've heard before, let's take that to heart. Understand that it's always good for us to be reminded about things that we think we have a very firm grasp of. And this morning I want to talk about that, and that's the work of the church. And and that's something that is vitally important because it speaks to why it is that we're Christians. Why is it that we come here on the first day of the week? What exactly is the church to do according to the pattern in the New Testament? So it's always good for us to, to reaffirm that and, and to, to remind ourselves and to stir ourselves up as a way of reminder in hearing these kinds of lessons. So I want to talk this morning about about the work of the church. What is it that the church has been charged to do? So let's start by understanding the, something very fundamental and something very basic, that, that the work of the church is, is rooted in spirituality. The work of the church is, is spiritual. And let's understand this by looking at a few things that brings us to the church. In Isaiah 2 and verse 2, we looked at this uh, last week, um, but it's something to, to, for us to understand uh, Isaiah the prophet says, Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. This, of course, is Isaiah speaking prophetically about a time where God will set up his kingdom. And this will be an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom not like um, the kingdom of, of the Jewish religion, of the Jewish faith, of the Israelites, the law of Moses. No, this is going to be a kingdom that will last forever. And we'll be established and we'll raise above, um, above the hills. All nations will stream to it. So this is a spiritual kingdom that we're talking about. Further evidenced by Daniel's writing, Daniel 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. So these kind of passages, passages help us to understand that this is an, a spiritual kingdom. We come to the New Testament, and oftentimes the kingdom is equated with the church. And sometimes it's spoken of as a kingdom because when we think about a kingdom, what's the first part of that word? King, right? Um, a kingdom, and it describes the king, his kingdom, his, his uh, citizens, uh, his servants. But it's also synonymous with church and the idea of this is what God will establish. So Jesus says uh, in Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18, he's speaking here to Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, 
because flesh did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So equating kingdom and church here, we understand that this is an everlasting kingdom, and even the gates of Hades will not overpower it, nor will the nations, as Daniel and, and Isaiah referred to. Our Lord again in John 4, another familiar passage to us as he's speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, he, he clarifies this even further and makes us very clear about the physical kingdom giving way to the spiritual kingdom. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive, perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. Here again, here's the physical Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So let's understand that the kingdom that we're talking about, the church course is spiritual. We often see this and, and understand about the work of the church, and it's really a threefold work. There's three main uh, tasks that the church has been given to carry out. And then it can be broken down like this, and the first one we will talk about is evangelism. In 1 Thessalonians uh, verse 1, 8 through 10, it says, therefore, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. This is what is so vitally important about the church, about the work of the church, is sounding forth the gospel. You know, it is the duty of the church to do that. And we come here on the first day of the week to encourage one another and to, and to be edified and to partake of the Lord's Supper and, and to give on the first day of the week as, as we've been commanded to do. Part of the work here also is sounding forth the gospel. The words which the teachers, uh, the Bible teachers say, the words which I say, or whoever might be preaching that Sunday morning, we're sounding forth the gospel. We're letting the gospel ring forth in this community. And that's very, very important, obviously. This is the way that the kingdom grows. Verse 9 says, For they themselves report about us the kind of reception we had with you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us, rescues us from the wrath to come. See how, the, how that all plays out? You sound forth the gospel. You turn from your idols to God. You, you're waiting for the return of the Lord. That's why sounding forth the gospel is so very important. And inherent in that is, is to support those who preach. In Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at my first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Supporting the, the work of the church in evangelism is, is part of the, of the charge to the church. The, the treasury that we have here, that we collect the funds on the first day of the week, perfectly appropriate to go forth uh, to, to, to pay a man to preach, to, 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 to spread the word, whatever it takes in, in, in bringing forth the gospel, is perfectly appropriate. 
We need to support those who preach. And Paul reminds the Philippians here of the great gift that they give, gave to him and how they supported him in his, in his work. And the, and the upshot of this and what we see is that it works. This works. Philippians 1 and verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, for I, Paul, was made a minister. This, this, this plan works. And I say that and emphasize that in understanding that sometimes we want to get ahead of ourselves and, and maybe give God a helping hand over here. We might have a great idea of how the, the gospel might need to be spread, whatever, however that might manifest itself. Scripture tells us what we need to do. Preach the word. Support those who preach. That's how the gospel will sound forth. Let's leave it to God to tell us how we ought to do it and not get it in our own heads how we might help God along the way. We've seen in our studies in the Old Testament uh, the downfall of those who tried to do it that way. The second part of the, the work of the church is, is limited benevolence. It starts with le- needy local saints. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 and 45, All those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. We look at all the examples the book of Acts, about, about the churches sharing amongst themselves, They are sharing with needy saints. We are charged as individuals to share with those we come in contact with, and we have plenty of of examples to do that. But the church is to share their resources with needy saints. And every example in the book of Acts is is doing just that. Sometimes the churches might pool their their monies, as Paul talked about, we just mentioned there. And and all throughout Acts, and in Paul's writings, the letters, he's going to take a contribution to Jerusalem. The monies that have been collected, they're going to what? To needy saints in Jerusalem. That's perfectly appropriate as well. But the idea is that it needs to be to needy local saints first. That's the work of our congregation here in Cortez. Then there's needy saints elsewhere, as I mentioned. The, the, the example here, and this we have from Romans 14, uh, verse 25 and 26. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Perfectly appropriate. It's perfectly appropriate for us. And we, we come in contact with this all the time, especially where we live, about hurricane damage. Are there any saints over that need our help? Can we, can we give to them? Perfectly appropriate. And there's a further delineation that we can understand, and it helps us really to, uh, to narrow down exactly uh, the work that the church is to engage with. And turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In Paul's instructions to the young Timothy here, he, he lays out the idea that there are certain widows that need support from the church. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. And what follows after this, we won't read all of this, but what follows is the qualifications for what it means to be a widow indeed. And that is basically a widow who has no one else in her family to take care of her. 
That's what a widow indeed is. And Paul says, in, in that case, it is okay to use funds from the treasury of the church to help support that widow. Otherwise, her family needs to take care of her. And so in all of that, there's a precedence. And there's an idea that's established. If you come down to verse um, 16 in 1 Timothy 5, it says, If any woman is a believer uh, who has dependent windows, let her assist them. And let not the church be so burdened that it may assist those who are widows indeed. And there's the precedence that we need to pull from this and understand. That unless she is a widow in, indeed, then the church does not need to be burdened with that. And so think about that in, in a little bit more application. If, if it were that the church were um, charged to take care of the needy in the community, think how quickly we would run out of money. There's a lot of needy people in this world. There's a lot of needy people in our community. Think how fast our treasury would, would be depleted if we were charged to take care of everyone in the community. Yeah, so that's why it makes sense for this to be a limited benevolence. We are to take care of the needy saints. Our first charge, our first duty is to take care of those who are among us who might be in need. And then we might know or hear of someone, other saints in other places that might have need. And that's perfectly appropriate for us to allot funds to go to them. And widows indeed, those who meet these qualifications. So that's why it's important to understand that it's a limited benevolence. And the scriptures teach us and show us how that benevolence is to be limited. Let's talk about the third part of the work of the church, and that is edification. And we come here, as I mentioned in the beginning, to, to edify one another. God wants us to worship him. He's instructed us to do so and given us the the pattern by which we are to worship him. We are to make sacrifices. That is the fruit of our lips, as the Hebrew writer talks about. Paul talks about in Romans 12, about presenting our body as a living sacrifice. You know, those are things that we, that we do in, in worship of our God. But we also come together to edify one another. And let's look at, at this and, and understand a couple of things about this. First of all, in understanding about the work and, and uh, edifying, uh, one another is that we need to be shepherded. The church is to be set up so that there, are, that there are shepherds, that there are elders. We are absent of elders of this congregation. That's okay. But if we were to be set in order and, and to be a fully functioning church as the Lord would have us, we would have elders here. And like I said, it's, it's perfectly appropriate for us to function without them because the, 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 the pattern in the, in the book of Acts is go to the churches and establish elders, appoint elders, so the churches were already functioning, and the elders come from amongst the church. So that's perfectly fine. But, the, but God's plan is for the church to be shepherded by the elders of the congregation. In Acts chapter 20, and verse 28, as Paul here speaking to the Ephesian elders, says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God who he purchased with his own blood. So that's where the leadership of the church is, is with the elders. They are the ones charged to oversee uh, the body, the local body. And they are limited to that one church. They are limited to the local church where they are shepherding that church. They don't have any authority over any other church. 
And that's important for us to understand. Some have taken that on and set up hierarchies that are found nowhere in Scripture about a, a, a one elder having the charge over more than one congregation. The Scriptures don't bear that out. So the church needs to be shepherded in order that it can properly and, and at its best edify the saints. And in so doing, what we are doing is we are building each other up. We are fortifying one another. We are strengthening one another in the work that we do and coming together. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors. That's another word for elders, shepherds. All those are descriptions of the office of elder, described in the, with these different words. And teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So when we come together as, as saints, as members of this local body, this is what we're to be doing. And those, these are the roles that God has set up. Say that again. These are the roles that God has set up. We needn't look any further to find anything that, that, that might help God in this manner. Well, it might be a good idea to to pool together the resources of these three congregations and appoint one man to oversee that. No. Scripture doesn't bear that out. We are responsible for the work in our own congregation, in the own, our own local church. Uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these are, are men who lead the church. We have women as saints who Paul talks about in Titus about uh, teaching the younger women, they play a vital role in the, in, the, in the working of the church. But all this is to build up the body of Christ, to build up the church. Down in verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says, For whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body, the building of itself up in love. So that's what we're doing. We're building that body and strengthening it so that it can function properly. And this idea, it, Paul also expresses this in 1 Corinthians, similar language about using the, the, the body and how the body has different parts, but it functions as a whole. He equates that to the church. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 through 20. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. So important for us to understand that there were each individuals. We each have certain talents. We each have certain abilities. And that's fine. We come together. We, we, we knit together to form that body. And the body is to function as, as one each individual doing his or her own part, and how very important that is for the work of the church. In closing, I want to talk about um, how we are um, supported, how um, the church here is supported by its members. And uh, I want to just spend a little bit of time on this because it's something that's very important. Something we need to, again, have a very firm grasp of and understand. Let's understand this. This is the most general way that we can understand it. 
The local church is supported by a free will offering of its members. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2 is, is a familiar passage that we go to uh, as Paul is instructing the, the, the Corinthians to lay by and store on the first day of the week. And the 2 Corinthians 9 is, is, is important, too, about understanding set aside as, uh, as you would purpose in your heart. The idea there, again, reemphasize about the, the free will offering. We talked about in our Bible class this morning, the idea of tithing. And that's an ancient idea. It's been around a very long time, and it was incorporated into the law of Moses. And it was important uh, for them to, to do that. Under the law of Christ, we are to give back as we have prospered, as we have purposed in our heart. It's a different standard, isn't it? It means we can give more. It's okay. It's okay to give more than a tenth. If we, haven't, if, we don't, if we don't have that, then we purpose in our heart what we're going to give. And that's how... The, 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 the work of the church is funded. And so when we see things um, like lay by and store in these passages, that's, we understand that that's a, a common treasury. The, the monies that we collect here on the first day of the week, that's put into a, into a treasury. So we lay by and store. That's what we do. We put the monies into a treasury. When we talk, when the scripture says first day of the week, we understand that this is something that is done regularly. Paul makes it very clear concerning the collection which the saints I directed you on the churches of Galatia, so you do also on the first day of every week. Let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection be made when I come. So we need to make sure that we're following that. Paul says, on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. Now I know that... Some of us paid monthly and, and, and all manner of, of income coming in. I understand that. The scripture says on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made as I come, when I come. Let's let scripture speak for itself there and understand what our duties, is, our duties are. To lay by and store on the first day of the week. If we are a member of this congregation, if we identify ourselves as a member of this congregation, we need to be doing that every first day of the week. If we're not here, if we're traveling, and we, we travel a lot in this area of the world, it's coming and going all the time. But we need to make sure that we're keeping with that, either by leaving funds with someone to put in the, in the treasury each first day of the week, a, a, I'm going to be gone four weeks, here's four checks. Or I'm going to be gone four weeks, here's a check that will cover that time I'm gone. Or when I get back, here's a check that covers that time I was gone. But that command needs to be met. It is the duty of the members of the congregation to fund the work of the church. And this is how we do it. According to each one's means, as he may prosper. And again, this is what I mentioned a minute ago. It's not... The, the, the tithing is, is not the standard anymore. The standard is as he may prosper, whatever that might be, whatever you have purposed in your heart. That's the standard that we are held to. We're held to that standard. And in that passage there in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about he who, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That helps us to understand about how much we ought to purpose in our heart. 
what is it that we are giving back? Are we giving back at the, at the bottom of our ledger when everybody else has been paid? Maybe we should think about moving that further and further up the top. Where do, our, all, where do all blessings come from? This is the only method prescribed for the church to gather monies. We don't have any other example of any way to collect monies for the work of this church. We don't see any bake sales or, or car washes or cake sales or any of that. We don't see that. What do we see? We see a free will offering by the members of this congregation. And again, this is where we can uh, run afoul of what God has prescribed. Perfectly fine for us as individuals to, to give to those who we come in contact with who have need. Matthew 25 bears that out. The, the, the parable of the prodigal, uh, um, big pardon, of, of the Good Samaritan bears that out. We come in contact with someone in need, we have a responsibility to take care of that person. As a church, we're limited. As a church, we have these limitations placed on us. And we're not to gather funds by any other means. One of the things that's in particular to this congregation is that we have festivals that go wrong in, in Cortez, and parking is a premium. And it would be very easy for us to stick a sign up here and say, parking $10, and to take that money and put it in the treasury. But is that a free will offering? Is that an offering that is laid by in store on the first day of the week as the members have prospered in their hearts? Or set aside as, as purposed in his heart as he has prospered? One other thing I want to mention about this, and this again is something that we deal with a lot in this congregation, this community, because we have a lot of visitors. A lot of times visitors will freely of themselves put money into the treasury through the, 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 the mechanics of the, of the offering plate as it comes by. Perfectly fine. All of what I've been talking about does not exclude visitors from giving. If someone wants to give and have a, a free will offering to the work of the church, that is their prerogative if they want to do that. But at the same time, it does not stipulate that they must. As a visitor here, you don't have to. But as a visitor here, you're not required to. Because it's a free will offering. Who am I to say no? Who am I to say yes? It is what you have purposed in your heart. But understand, as, as we mentioned and as Scripture says, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, concerning the collection for which the saints I directed you, as, the churches, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. So in its purest form, what we see is the members of the local congregation giving a free will offering on the first day of every week as they have prospered, as they have purposed in their hearts, and that money going to fund the work of the church. So it's important for us to, to understand that and have a firm grasp of that. 
couple of things here in closing. Some things that the work of the church is not. The work of the church is not to provide entertainment or meals. In Romans 14 and verse 17, it says there about, uh, um, about the work. I want to turn there because I don't want to misquote that. I want to quote that exactly because that's important for us to understand. Romans 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But what? But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're not here to, this is not a country club. This is not a, a place to come for entertainment. This is a place to come and worship God, to edify each other. And the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And we have so many examples of Paul having to deal with. And in their culture, you know, they have they're not only with eating and drinking, but things sacrificed to idols. They have to deal with all that. And Paul's drawing a line in the sand. It's not about eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That should guide our thoughts. The work of the church is not to be engaged in civil affairs. Just one chapter back in chapter 13 of Romans, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about what the civil government does and how we are to be uh, subject to it as long as it doesn't transgress the, the, the will and the law of God. And he, he, he um, reflects what our Lord said about render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, render to God that which is God's. Paul says in, in, in Romans 13, verse 7, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We have a responsibility to obey civil government. But the church is not to be engaged in civil affairs. The work of the church is what we just talked about. As individuals, we have a role in what we do. We have a role in our government. We are a government of the people in this country. So we have a say-so in our own government. And it's, it's perfectly fine for us to speak out and, and to express that, because that's how we govern ourselves. But the church doesn't have that. It's not up to the church to hold political rallies and to take positions in political events and sides. Again, we're to stand up for the truth, stand up for what is right. And when we see error, error and evil being promulgated in the world, we're to make that stand. But we're not to be involved in civil affairs as the church. The work of the church is not to provide unlimited benevolence. We have that example there about the, about the widows indeed. There is a limit to, to how benevolent we can be. And again, the question comes back to, if we were to feed all the needy in this community, our treasury would be depleted overnight. So there are limitations on what the treasury of this church can be used to fund. As individuals, the standard is different. But as the church, we're limited. And we're not to hold fundraisers. I want to leave you with this from 2 Thessalonians. Brad read for us a minute ago. We're not to, to subvert the will of God. We're not to add to. We're not to take it upon ourselves to, to come up with some way that we might, um, what was the building fund? We're not supposed to, 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 put a, to, to charge the community and hold these fundraisers so that we might add on to the church building. That's not the work of the church. The church is to be funded by free will offering of its members. In 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning of verse 13, 
Paul says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. And it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in the context of what we're talking about, evangelism works. The work of the church works. Paul is commending the Thessalonians for the idea that they've been established, that God had called them because, through his Son, set up the standard by which we are to enter in the, into the kingdom, and he's commending them for that. And look what he says in verse 15, which is so very important for us as we uh, seek to serve God and seek to serve him the way that he has prescribed. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. These are the traditions that we are to hold to. By word of mouth, remember when the time that Paul is writing these things, the gospel is going forth. These men, these apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are telling them about the gospel. The letters are being written as this is going forth. So Paul is making sure that they understand that what we're telling you is what you ought to hold to, these traditions. But he's also telling them that they need to hold to the traditions of this very letter that I'm writing you. And so what does it mean to us coming down? It means that we have the written word. We don't have anyone sitting here amongst us that was an eyewitness to our Lord or to his apostles. But we have the written word, the complete will of God. And so the traditions that we need to hold to are the ones that we find in Scripture. And also understand that Paul is saying here that the, the, the thing I'm writing here to you is the word of God. This is not just me musing and spending my time as I'm traveling about and it's dark at night, I can't travel, so I'm going to write this letter to you. This is the word of God. Paul understood that being charged by the Holy Spirit and the things that he was writing, to write these things down. And so it comes down to us that the traditions that we need to hold to are the ones that we read about in the New Testament, as far as the church goes. Now we have some things of, that, we are, that are expedient to us, songbooks and meeting times and, and building and all those things, but all those things are so that we might carry forth the commandments that we have been given, that we might do the will of God. And so those are appropriate as long as they're used to carry out the, the, the command of God. But let's hold, make sure that we are holding to those traditions and let's be doing the work of the Lord's church. Make sure that the pattern that we are following after is a pattern that we see in his holy word. We offer an invitation at the close of our time here together. I hope you see through all this how important the, the church is. That those prophets of old spoke about a kingdom that would be set up. And, and Jesus makes it very clear that this kingdom that, that is being established here on the earth is the church. He says, I'm going to be told Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's the kingdom that we're talking about. And the kingdom that we're talking about, as those prophets mentioned, is an everlasting kingdom. And it's a spiritual kingdom. And through all of that, what we see is what it took to establish that kingdom. It took the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It took His blood to establish the kingdom. It is only through His blood that we are made citizens of that kingdom. And we come in contact with that blood through the waters of baptism. I would encourage you to become a child of God, to put to death that old man, that old woman of sin, and to come up out of the waters as a new creature. If you have not done that, I would encourage you to to think very hard about that and to make that decision because your soul depends on it. If as a child of God you are not living the life that you should be, I would encourage you to make that right as well. The work of the church, part of the work of the church is to edify one another, to build one another up. And we can do that. If you are weak in the faith and you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.